Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello, my name is Susie and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. Our guest today is Helen. I was driving to a local lake one day for my walk, which is probably a bit too much information, and tuned into 3CR as I often do. Helen was being interviewed by Bill on Living Free. I found myself absolutely riveted by her story and stopped to hear the rest of the show before embarking on my walk. I contacted 3CR immediately for Helen's details. Suffice to say that I'm really pleased that the stars have finally aligned and today Helen is here to tell us a little bit about her experience of growing up with alcoholic parents, how it impacted her life and how she has found recovery, strength, hope and personal growth through her connection with Al-Anon. Helen is nowadays also involved in the organisation's management. Now, before we get started today, I'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. We at Brainwaves would like to acknowledge that this episode was created on the lands of the Kulin Nation, land of the Wurundjeri people, and we acknowledge them as the traditional owners of land never ceded. We pay respect to their elders past and present and all other Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander people. Hello, Helen, and welcome to Brainwaves. Helen, you're involved with Al-Anon. Can you tell us a little bit about the organisation? Is it different to or similar to Alcoholics Anonymous? And how old were you when you became involved? Yeah, thanks, Susie. Um, Al-Anon is different from AA. Um, I'll talk about Al-Anon first. So we're a not-for-profit organisation who provides help and hope for families who have been affected by somebody else's drinking. Um, Al-Anon's been going for 70 years next year. Wow. Um, 24,000 meetings in 131 countries around the world, and there's over 300 meetings in Australia. Um, We're an anonymous fellowship. Um, We are completely self-supporting. We don't get any government funding. Um, We're spiritually based, um, but that doesn't mean you have to believe in God or have any religious beliefs. Um, but we are based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So that's the connection. So Al-Anon was born out of um, the wives and families of alcoholics when AA first started and, and, the, and the alcoholics were going off to their AA meetings. Uh, the wives and families were sitting in their cars and in the kitchens and, and sort of complaining about their alcoholic husbands or whoever and could see the benefit that a 12-step program was providing to their loved ones and they decided that maybe they could adapt the 12 steps um, for themselves. And that's where Al-Anon was born um, in America over 70 years ago. So 70 years in Australia next year. 
Um, so yeah, we 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 provide um, support to people who have been affected by somebody else's drinking, and mm. um, and we all know the devastating effects of alcoholism. So that's that's what it's about. I joined, um, gosh, nearly thirty years ago now. I was mm. twenty nine, um, mm. and uh, yeah, my life was a bit of a mess at the time, and I I I didn't attribute the significance impact that alcoholism had had on my life at that point um i blamed everything else but i i soon realized that um, being brought up in an alcoholic family um was the pretty much the foundation of most of my issues at the time so um, okay can i just ask uh, for those that don't know what um what are the 12 steps so the you know i'm probably better to refer people to the website so they can have a look and and see that but the 12 steps are a series of um steps is a kind of common word i guess mm. for how you can deal with problems in your life so the first one is admitted we were powerless over alcohol mm. um, and some people replace the word alcohol with people places and things but it's about accepting our powerlessness i think one of the symptoms of a um, alcoholic family is there are people running around trying to control the alcoholic which you can't do you, you just you could tip out the drink you can plead with them you can beg with them but Alcoholism is a disease. It's an addiction um, that is far stronger than all of us. And it can just drive you insane trying to control somebody else. So the first step talks about um, ad admitting that we were powerless. Um, it doesn't mean that you're helpless or hopeless. Yes. It's just accepting what you can control. Mm. Um, then the steps go on to, to uh, talk about um, handing our will and our life over. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a talk of a higher power in our steps. Um, there's a talk of um, trying to find some of our own shortcomings. And, and some people talk, you know, I come to Eleanor because he's the guy with the problem or she's the guy with the problem. Why do I have to do the work? But we understand that alcoholism affects us in lots of different ways. So it's about getting us better. Mm. It's not about trying to fix the alcoholic. And statistics show that if the family members of somebody who has an addiction gets help from themselves, there's a far greater chance of that person with addiction getting help mm. for themselves and staying sober, clean, whatever it is. So, and just regarding what you're saying about a higher power, could that be an internal strength that you find? Absolutely. Mm. It could be anything. It can be nature. It could be a tree. It can be a teddy bear. It can be anything you like. And I, I really struggled with that concept initially. I was brought up quite religious, mm. but in a very controlling religion that was a very punishing God. Mm. Um, that I had moved well away from. So for me to sort of accept that there was some presence out there that may have an influence in my life was quite a struggle. But mm. um, I now understand that. And, it, and again, it's about understanding my place and understanding mm. that I don't have control mm. over the universe. I might think I do sometimes, but I don't. Mm. Um, and having some faith um, can be very powerful in terms of trying mm. to deal with this, um, with this insidious disease. And self-belief. And I just want to say that I totally relate to your background um, on every level. Wow, okay. So, yeah. A lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, well, not on the uh, – my parents were certainly not alcoholics, but um, they didn't even drink. But um, essentially I did have a, a fundamentalist religious upbringing. Right. But, yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your how your early life was and what experiences impacted that? long term yeah I guess um a bit of my background I'm the youngest of six kids um there's quite an age difference between me and my older brothers um both my parents were drinking alcoholically 
um, for as long as I can remember. And that was daily drinking. Both of my parents were drinking by lunchtime every day. Um, and people's perception of what an alcoholic is, is often the, the bum in the park with the paper bag. That's um, right. That is, that is not your garden variety alcoholic. No. Garden variety looks like me and you and people out there functioning. And my parents were certainly that. They were pillars of the local community. I absolutely adored my parents. Um, they provided lots of support to people in need. Whenever there was a, a guy without a job, my dad would find a job for him. My mum was making care packages. There was always a stranger at the Christmas dinner table. Um, so my people, my, my parents were good people essentially, but they drank and they drank a lot. And that affected their ability to be present for me and my siblings. Um, their ability to commit to things and follow through, the amount of school concerts and presentations and things my parents just weren't there for, um, and the ability, the inability to connect emotionally. You know, yeah. um, us kids were often uh, we, we were never badly treated in terms. Of, there was always food on the table. There was always a roof over your head, all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, I remember saying to my mum, "I feel sad," and she'd just say, "No, you don't." Mm. Because it was too hard for her to deal with all that yes, stuff. Having yeah. a bunch of kids and, and my dad had a bit of a gambling problem as well. Mm. Um, there was never enough money in the house. Mm. That um, they, just, they just weren't available. We had a lot of tragedy happen in my childhood. My brother died and we had lots of other things happen. Mm. And we, there was never spoken about. We never spoke about feelings. We never had any way of dealing with that sort of stuff. And that's mm. really typical of an alcoholic environment. Yeah. Um, um, some, I think, Going back years ago, too, it was fairly typical of, of many households, particularly with males, not to show emotion or talk about emotional things, too. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, I can tell you once I saw my dad cry and for the amount of terrible things that happened in our family, that's, that's yeah. pretty amazing. And he was embarrassed about that and sent me out of the room because he didn't want to see me, he didn't want me to see him yeah. and, and be perceived as some kind of weakness. And uh, I understood both my parents grew up in an alcoholic environment, so yeah. they kind of didn't have any choice about it. And, yeah. and that's one of the things that Eleanor has helped me understand is that this wasn't a choice. My parents didn't wake up one day and say, let's be alcoholics and give our kids a hard time, mm. that they have an addiction um, and that they were doing the best they could. Mm. And But, you know, it did have an effect on me and um, and Eleanor helped me kind of deal with mm. that. And the other thing, too, um, is they're finding out more and more about genetic links with alcoholism and not to mention that when people suffer terribly, they can self-medicate as a form of survival. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and we do know that the genetic connection is quite quite strong. Um, I have, you know, most of my siblings have a, a drinking problem. Many other people in my family, if, uh, I joke about the fact that if there was a family tree and you threw a dart, you'd hit an alcoholic or someone who desperately needs Eleanor. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. having that sort of stuff, you know, talking about the impact on my life, things like having a overdeveloped sense of responsibility. I thought it was my job to fix everybody and everything. Yes. Even if I wasn't even in the room, um, the need for approval, the people pleasing, mm. you know, thinking that if I did these things that then people would love me, that they would mm. approve of me and then maybe mm. they wouldn't drink. And, and certainly putting other people's needs above my own was a big part of my growing up and even mm. into my young adult life was um, was being completely disconnected from anything that I thought was right for me. Mm. Yeah, you were dealing a lot in the, with a lot in the family home and it sounds like your parents weren't like falling about drunk all the time. They were just, as you said, functioning alcoholics, although yeah. drinking from a morning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about, you've, you've said about the lack of emotional 
support in the family, what other behaviours um, caused a detrimental impact? Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the, my sense of um, financial insecurity was an issue. Okay. Uh, not knowing about what was going to happen. I understood that my parents um, spent a lot of money on alcohol and, and my dad on gambling. And I, I became the bookkeeper for my dad's business at a very yes. young age yes. um, and learned how to, you know, cook the book so it looked good mm-hmm. and hide all this money that he was spending. Um, and, you know, being dis- that them being dishonest in terms of things like tax returns and insurance companies and that kind of thing. So, uh, and, and it, was, it was sort of like a sense of pride that my family had about those things, about being able to cheat the system. And, and you know, for me, it was a fundamental thing. If, you know, and I grew up with a religion that said those things were bad. So I struggled with that quite a bit. Yeah, and it's also a contradiction because, as you said, they were upstanding members of the community. Correct. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and there, there was a lot of that kind of contradiction. It was about like, you know, as, as kids, uh, us kids were forced to go to church, but mum and dad didn't go. Mm. And, you know, mum, the only time mum would go to church was midnight mass and she was always plastered. We had to take her. So it was like, what? you know, this confusion for me about um, say what I do, say what I say, do what I say, but don't, don't do what I say do. And, mm. and, and judgment that my parents had on other people were, were quite strong as well. We're not like them, you know, that kind of thing. So it was very confusing for me um, in terms of my principles and standards. I knew my parents ethical and moral standards were actually quite high and and I grew up with a good sense of what was right and wrong but they often broke those rules and it seemed to be okay for them to break them but not anybody else so there was lots of that kind of confusion for me in terms of standards but um Mm. you know I I had a complete nervous breakdown when I was 29 oh dear Mm. and uh at the time I would have said it was because I was mentally stressed in a corporate job but the actual crux for that was and I was a senior manager at the time and we were doing a management training course um, up in the country. We did these quite often and I, I organised them regularly. And there was probably 40 managers there and we had an industrial psychologist who was doing this session on the different roles we have in our life. And he picked me and said, Helen, come on up and talk to me about the different roles you have in your life. And I got the whiteboard marker and went, that's fine. Um, I'm a manager, I'm a supervisor, I'm a, you know, employee I'm a sister I'm an auntie I'm a and I just kept writing all these different roles and he said okay that's enough and he looked at the board and he said now which one's really you and I had no idea I had no idea I knew what hat to put on to be a certain person with a certain in a certain situation I knew how to do that I knew how to blend in I knew how to say yes to the things that you liked so it would look like I liked them too but I really had no idea who I was. And at that moment, I actually physically felt something inside me break. I can't describe it any other way than that. And I don't remember the next two days. I apparently gave a fantastic goodbye speech to everybody. um, And a friend drove me home, which was always the plan. And my housemate found me on the bed sobbing, saying, I can't do this anymore. And I went and saw a psychologist who I'd seen before that. um, And I'd seen her to develop a relationship with our organisation for a um, employee assistance package. And she said, I'll run you through a, a session of how I do things. And she asked me about my family. And I said, oh, we've got a very close family, very close family. Yes, you know, all good. And when I had this nervous breakdown, I didn't know what to do. I contacted her. And um, when I went and saw her, thankfully, she was a big 
12 step advocate. And she said to me, now, do you want to tell me about your family? Mm. Oh, they're all alcoholics. And, you know, I was able to talk to her and, and get some, um, get some support that way. But I understood at that point, the, how long I'd been trying to hold things together. Um, you know, my parents, like I said, financial issues and their health was declining. And, you know, I was living in the city and they were down on the peninsula and, you know, every other weekend I'd drive down there white-knuckled having to fix some problem. Yes. Um, I'd count the drinks all the time I was there and I'd cry all the way home, um, you know, and they'd ring up with all sorts of issues and, I, you know, I'd just have to fix things. And, and it, it ended up with all my decisions based on what they wanted for me and, you know, obsessed by trying to control them. So, you know, that's kind of how it manifested for me. Yeah. Um... I'm interested to know, so it sounds like you've had a pivotal moment around the age of 29 when everything seemed to come together, although in a negative way, but I guess it's cathartic in the end um, because you move forward from that point. But just with regard to your parents, um, did they die as a result of alcohol? Did they continue to be functioning alcoholics? Yes, they did. Both my parents died in their early 60s um, as a result of their alcoholism. Um, yes. And they died six months apart, which was absolute tragedy for the family. Um, but in a way, they were each other's best friends, and I don't know that they would have survived without it. And they supported each other in their drinking. So I, I think it would have been very, and it was very difficult for my mum for the six months after my dad died. But um, and did yeah, she stop I, drinking at that point? No, 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 not at all. Um, and both of them had had stints in hospital and in every occasion they actually needed to be medicated because of their alcohol abuse. And my dad at one stage after having heart surgery was given alcohol because yes. the hospital didn't want him to go into a, a detox. Mm. So, but no, there was absolutely no decrease in their alcoholism mm. regardless of what was going on in their life. And, mm. and that's what happens with an addict. They will find ways to get what they need, regardless of how much they love the people around them. Mm. The addiction is far stronger than anything else in their life. Mm. Um, and that's a that's a chemical brain thing. That's not a willpower. That's not I don't love you enough. That's an absolute chemical addiction, and their brain drives them to do what they need to do mm. to get their drug of addiction. And I think it's important that we mention at this point. I'm not a specialist in this area, but when I was 29, I was running a, I was director of nursing at a drug and alcohol facility, right. and alcoholics don't actually always fit the same pattern and we found at that time that the people that were dying young of alcoholism didn't drink all the time they were binge drinkers oh yeah um so uh yes there's lots of different versions of an alcoholic and and people often ask us you know what is an alcoholic yes it's not about how much they drink it's not about what they drink and it's not about you know how often they drink it's just about what happens to them when they drink Yes. So if somebody drinks and they can't stop drinking, so like I can go to a function and have a glass of wine, that's fine. But an alcoholic can't do that. So they yes. can't stop and their behaviour changes as a result. Yes. So that's the difference. And it doesn't mean that they, people, some alcoholics don't drink for months, but when they yeah. do, you know, they can't stop and they cause all sorts of issues. So That's right. And it's, it's whether, so sometimes when you're reading articles, articles about alcoholism, you're thinking, um, what is an alcoholic, someone who drinks a bottle of whiskey a day, someone who drinks two bottles of whiskey a day. Some people can drink three. It's unbelievable the amount that people can tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually it's whether or not it impacts your life, either physically, mentally, you, you, the people around you, financially. I think that would be one of the descriptors anyway. 
Yeah, that's a very yeah. good description. That's one that we use as well. It's about yes. it's about the effects of their drinking. It's not how much. It's just what happens yes. when they drink. Absolutely. And, and you're right. It doesn't necessarily have to be physical. I mean, there are a lot of domestic violence issues as a result of alcoholism, but the emotional, um, mental torment is, um, you know, just as harmful. Mm. Look, um, Helen, Al-Anon's clearly had a very profoundly positive impact on your life. Um, what have been the very most helpful aspects of how this network works for you? Um, yeah, I think it's a great question. And I, I think the, the, the best thing about it is that Al-Anon is filled with people who have been through what I've been through. That might be quite, you know, it might be their husband, their sister, their whatever. But we're talking to people who have lived what we've lived. So we're not saying you shan't, shouldn't see professionals. Absolutely professionals are a key part of anybody's recovery. But being able to talk to somebody who truly understands is of, I can't put a value on that. Yes. I had good friends growing up who knew my parents very well. They knew my parents' strength. Mm. But they didn't understand what I was going through. They didn't understand the mental torment. They had compassion for me, but they didn't understand. So Eleanor's full of people who understand. And, and in our welcoming, we talk about, you know, we understand as perhaps few others can, you know, what it's like to live with alcoholism. So that's one of the big things. But it's also taught me how to detach and live my own life, regardless of what the alcoholic is doing. So, you know, eventually I was in recovery for five years before my parents died. I learned to detach the alcoholic from the person I loved. Yes. So I got to see my dad as this terrified man who really didn't have the skills to cope with a lot of things going on in his life. And he used alcohol to deal with that. Mm. So I got to see him as separate from the from the alcoholic who was drunk and saying inappropriate things and, you know, getting angry and that kind of stuff. So, so it helped me detach uh, and understand the alcoholism as a family disease. Yes. Um, that was, that was very significant for me, but uh, it, it, it learned that I had choices, I think, um, about what I did with my life and I didn't have to live my life according to somebody else's rules. And as you said at the beginning, you had learnt through this organisation that you were powerless over someone else's um, disease, but you still, as you've just said, loved your parents and re respected them in other ways. Correct, But yeah. just had to, uh, I guess I'm interpreting this right, I hope that you yeah. had to accept that there was little you could do except love them, yeah. Correct. And after my parents died and, and you know, I cleaned out their drawers and things, I found lots of opportunities that they were given to find a 12-step program. There were AA pamphlets, there was phone messages and um, phone numbers and things and, uh, and little flyers and that kind of stuff. Um, and they chose not to do that. So I had to expect, respect yeah. that as well. It's also a very difficult um, disease to overcome, in fairness. Um, it kills people because it's a very... Um, it's a, a terrible addiction, a terrible affliction. But, yes, people do overcome it. Um, it can be overcome with determination and support. Yeah, it can, and, and, and the support's the important thing. And, and AA is an incredibly powerful, um, successful program for people to get sober. And in my early recovery as well, I went to some AA meetings to understand what was going on, and it was amazing how many times I heard my parents' story. And, and it gave me hope that maybe my parents would find recovery. Yes. And although they didn't, um, you know, that, that's not the only story. There are plenty of stories of, of members of um, good friends that I have who have had family members who have got sober and those that do have the determination, there is helps available. I mean, I know there's a great series on the SBS at the moment um, called Addicted Australia talking about a, a program there. They don't talk much about the 12-step programs there, but 
12 steps are an amazing um, way for people to find recovery and they have been working successfully, like I said, for 70 years around, around the world. Yes. Um, now, um, Helen, uh, one good thing that has come out of your parents' illness and that is that you're advocating and supporting other people and um, educating other people in ways to find hope and success in, in beating this illness or learning to um, cope when you're around people that are alcoholics. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you, how can our listeners contact Al-Anon? Well, it's probably best to go to the website, um, which is www.alanon.org.au, and it's Al-Anon, A-L-A-N-O-N, um, or we've got a 1300 number, um, which is 1300 Al-Anon or 1300 252 666. And no matter where they are in Australia, that phone will get diverted to the right area and they can talk to somebody. They'll talk to an Al-Anon member. We don't use any outside agencies. They'll talk to an Al-Anon member. Sometimes you have to leave a message. but um, And they can put you in touch with the closest meeting for you. Um, and, and, you know, I just really encourage, I know it's scary. I know it's incredibly difficult to make the first step to go to an Al-Anon meeting, but I absolutely promise any of your listeners, if you are struggling with somebody else's alcoholism, Al-Anon can help. Just go along and listen to other people's experience, strengths and hope. And you can find solutions um, to the problems that you thought were absolutely insurmountable. To, you know, I've been in the organisation now for, what is it, nearly 30 years. And to watch people come in who look quite broken and helpless and don't know what to do, to see them blossom, turn into the people they were meant to be and have incredibly successful um, and wonderful lives, regardless of what's happening with their loved ones. But in a lot of cases, the loved ones find help too. That's right. As you said earlier, the, they're finding that people who use Al-Anon, um, their relatives have better outcomes Great. or their loved ones, yes. Yeah. Well, Helen, thank you ever so much for coming on the program. I'm very grateful to you and I'm sure our listeners will find some hope and some useful resources. And I personally found your story riveting and um we could talk about this for hours, like it's impossible but to... Before I go, I just might mention just one other section of the organisation, which is called Alateen, and that's for our teenage um, members of, um, of the community who are affected by alcoholism as well. So we have a program specifically for teenagers, but that's all available on the website as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, Helen, thank you very much. You're very thank welcome. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Helen, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge, insight and lived experience with our listeners. Um, I really hope that everyone has found something in today's shows that will be beneficial to them. And just a reminder for any of our listeners that if you are troubled by the drinking of someone close to you, please know you can call Alanon on 1300 Alanon or that number is 1300 252 triple six you can find more of our shows at our website brainwaves.org.au or on the 3cr website 3cr.org.au or on spotify or wherever you download your podcasts if you have a story to share or if you would like to send us feedback or suggestions for future shows um, we'd love to hear it please send us an email at brainwaves at wellways.org uh, thanks for listening everyone stay safe and we'll be back next wednesday at 5 p.m for another episode of brainwaves on 3cr before I go, I'd just like to let everyone know that this will be our final episode for 2020 um, and I'd like to thank the team for all their support during some really trying times this year. Um, our guests as well for sharing with our listeners and 3CR for all their amazing support and of course all of you for tuning in each, each week. Uh, we hope that you have an amazing summer and over the next few weeks you'll hear some of our favourite episodes from over the year and we'll be back with some new shows on the 20th of January in 2021. So please everyone take care and we'll see you all again next year. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.